Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. Welcome to today's Beeson Podcast. I often tell people one of the things I enjoy most about being the Dean of Beeson is connecting with our wonderful alumni. They're all over the world, serving on every continent on earth, doing the work of Jesus Christ, building up the church. Well, today, here in the studio, I have the privilege of talking with one of our very fine, fairly recent alums, the Reverend Brian Cosby. Brian, welcome back to Beeson. Thank you for having me. Now, first of all, tell us where you're serving now, your ministry now, and kind of what's happened to you since you left Beeson and where you are now. Well, I currently serve as pastor of Wayside Presbyterian Church on Signal Mountain. It's in uh, located just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And since I graduated from Beeson, I uh, went to serve in a church, a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, a uh, church in Atlanta. Uh, actually southwest of Atlanta, Peachtree City, Georgia, called Carriage Lane Presbyterian Church. And I served as associate pastor of youth and families there for four years and then just recently uh, called up to Wayside. In fact, uh started there in June, just uh, you know, a month ago or so, a month and a half ago. And uh, so it's just been a, it's been a, a joy and privilege to serve uh, in Atlanta. Different atmosphere, a lot faster pace in Atlanta. It's been a joy. One of the things I remember about you as a student, I think is still continuing to be true in your ministry, is that you're interested in learning. And you're not a student that stopped learning when you got your seminary degree. You've kept learning. In fact, that's led you into further research and writing as well. I want to talk about one of your books in just a moment. But I want to commend you for that. You you have an interest in what we used to call and back in the 17th century. I'm not quite that old, but I've read about it. The body of divinity. That is to say, the study of theology and its pastoral application to the people of God. What fuels that interest in you? This came out of a study of Jonathan Edwards. I remember when I was here at Beeson, uh, I was asked to give the student sermon, Walking with the Saints, and I preached uh, on Colossians 3.3, but I was highlighting also Jonathan Edwards. And I remember of that study of Jonathan Edwards as a pastor and yet a theologian, and that it doesn't always have to be uh, separated, mm-hmm. that, that pastors are called to be theologians, and theologians, I think, pastors and to do the work of ministry and to think about God. Um, And so I think that's what fueled me. I just read the blurb on a new book by Stanley Hauerwas, who's a theologian at Duke Divinity School, but it's a collection of sermons. And he said there that he thought he had done his best theological work in the pulpit, preaching. And I think that's something uh, for us to think about. Well, I want to talk a little bit about your particular experience and I would say expertise as it's developed in youth ministry. Now, how did you get into that and how has your perspective changed from the early experiences you had in youth ministry until now? My early days of youth ministry, uh, early 2000s, um, we were focused on getting the most number of students into the church. That was our goal. It wasn't necessarily to uh, exalt Christ or be obedient to his word. It was simply to, what can we do 
to have the greatest show on earth to get as many students into the church. And really, it was about my own pride. It was about looking good. It was about numbers. Probably the number one question that youth pastors get from parents and pastors and uh, senior pastors and, and others is how many? How many students did you have? And so this was a, a question that really drove my ministry with students. So it seems like that approach would lead you to emphasize methodology. You say the greatest show on earth. So what does that mean? What kind of things does does one do to attract lots and lots of young people? I think the opposite question might be better of what wouldn't you do, but uh, <laughs> swallowing goldfish to uh, you name it, uh, to, to get and attract people, uh, young people into the church. And, it's, and, and some th- Think of it as, you know, as long as we get them here, then we are successful in ministry. And yet, you know, from something I learned from Kent and Barbara Hughes is, you know, faithfulness is always more important than success. Yeah, and for our listeners who don't know, Kent and Barbara are longtime pastor at College Church in Wheaton. He's been here to Beeson to give our preaching lectures, a wonderful man of God, and his wife also a partner with him in the work of the Lord. So he has a lot of books. We didn't intend for this to be a Kent Hughes commercial, but there but there you go. Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome, excellent book. Yeah. Well, why do you feel that the gimmicks, the shock kind of treatment that you're talking about, the swallowing goldfish, etc., why do you think... At the end of the day, that is not something that is going to build up a godly, uh, prepared to deal with the real issues of life youth ministry. Well, a couple of things. The numbers that we're seeing are really shocking. 60 to 80 percent, as high as 88 percent of youth leaving the church after graduating high school. There's a lot of people saying, here's the problem, here, there's the problem. Very few solutions are coming out which is really interesting. And so what I've been trying to do is call people back to a consistent ministry that God is not only concerned about the content of what we teach and preach, but the method. And so method is is actually of great importance that God cares about the methodology of ministry and not just the content of what we say. And that's what I want to be concerned about. And so, for example, 1 Corinthians 3, 7, you know, Paul is talking about, you know, Paulus and that he goes around and they plant water the gospel and God gives the growth. And so our task is, our central task of ministry is to be faithful to plant and water the gospel of Jesus Christ, looking to God to provide the growth. And the question comes, well, how do we plant and water the gospel of Jesus Christ? And what I've tried to answer in Giving Up Gimmicks is the means of grace. Now, Giving Up Gimmicks is the title of your book. You want to say a little bit more about that and what approach you take there? Yeah, the book actually has this negative title, Giving Up Gimmicks, Reclaiming Youth Ministry from an Entertainment Culture. But I I really try to give a positive position in the book toward a means of grace ministry. And when I use that phrase, means of grace, historically speaking, uh, you know, my tradition in the Presbyterian Church in America, we've looked at the word prayer, and sacraments. But in the book, I've taken a little bit broader perspective, and I've included a gospel-motivated service and grace-centered community, those mm-hmm. two. And mm-hmm. so these five areas of word, prayer, sacrament, service, and community form the backbone of youth ministry. Mm-hmm. And the way we think about it is faithful to those things, looking to God to provide the growth as we, uh, as we implement those various ministries. 
know, some people may have a negative reaction to that term, means of grace, but uh, it's good to remember that John Calvin used that as he introduced his book four of the Institute, talking about the church, the external means of grace by which the Holy Spirit draws us into a relationship with Christ in the context of his body. And that's really what we're all about in ministry. So you're applying that in a particular way to youth ministry, right? which is a little different than we often hear. Right. And and really, uh, what so often youth ministries and churches create these separate enclaves of youth, like church within a church. Um, and what I am trying to do is get the, the, the youth into the body life of the church. Is that what you mean by mini churches? You talk churches have little mini churches of youth, right? kind of a church within the church. You know, I don't know what you think about this because I don't think you address this issue. Children's church. I am really against children's <laughs> churches. I'm not against children, right. and I think <laughs> they good. should be taught to worship. But this idea of you segregate them into a specialized program over there, never hear them cry or anything, well, I, I just think that's bad. And you're saying something similar about youth ministry. That's correct, yeah. And so what we want to try to do is uh, build a holistic approach to ministry that emphasizes Lord's Day worship. We emphasize family, the role of family. Obviously, recognizing that many, many students nowadays are, are not coming from Christian homes. That's, we just understand that. But also emphasizing the importance of church officers. Mm. And this is something that's not in, included in, in many paradigms of youth ministry, is we try to incorporate shepherding elders into the body life of the church. And so, for example, I was on a trip, and I, uh, one of my youth had a, uh, a back surgery. And I called up the shepherding elder of the family, and mm. I said, hey, could you go visit this a young lady and her family, and mm. and so I want them to to serve with the deacons and and be shepherded by the elders, enjoy uh, public worship, um, all those kinds of things, um, and that's how people grow. It's not the gimmicks and games of. I mean, I'm I'm all for having fun. I'm all for games. I'm. How but, many goldfish have you swallowed lately? I'm not telling. <laughs> but you're saying that, that that should not, must not be the driving exactly. force of this ministry. That's exactly. Uh, right. Now, um, here's a question for you. Uh, you're, you're talking about respect for elders and uh, working in a pastoral way with leaders in the church, and yet we live in a culture where any kind of authority is already suspect by young people. Is that not true? They're trained to be skeptics. So how do you work against that? How do you go against that grain? Yeah, the youth, we live in a small print world, and we're trained to be skeptic. Everything, everything comes with fine print, and so we don't believe the first thing we hear, and so leaders are naturally, especially church leaders, are naturally not trusted by students. So there's there's a fear, uh, number one, that's plaguing uh, uh, the teenage culture, I would say. Number one fear over and over again among teenagers by polls is being alone mm. or rejection. Mm. And fear drives them into a sense, which we all need, of intimacy and community. Mm. And within that community is where they, f- they find um, that's what the church really is. That's what drawing them back to the church. Um, but this is a, a topic that that comes up a lot with with people. I don't I don't trust the leader, and so they have to earn it mm-hmm. over time. And I think one of the best ways to earn that is to focus on uh, the gospel of grace, not moralism. There's a lot of churches that teach the Bible doesn't necessarily mean they teach the gospel. Now, just talk about that distinction. That's a really important one: gospel of grace versus moralism. What is moralism? Soul Searching is a book. Oxford University Press came out. Uh, Christian Smith. And, and and this book that came out um, 
talked about MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism, as a religion of American teenagers. And in this religion, MTD, uh, this, moralist, this moralism that they believe that, that they can earn favor with God by their good works, earn heaven, those kinds of things. Um, God is a, he's a divine bellhop. He would come to your help if you're in trouble or 9-11 or tsunami, whatever happens. Um, but he's, it's, it's a deistic approach. He's not really involved in your life um, day to day. He's certainly not a God of, that's sovereign, um, that governs um, all things um, by the counsel of his own will. Uh, so this is the, the culture and the religion of American teenagers. And uh, and so there's a big distinction between a gospel that says uh, that, that, that God, that Jesus has accomplished for you everything that God has required of you in the law. And that righteousness is transferred you, to you and you receive it by faith alone and you stand before God complete and accepted and declared not guilty. So justification is at the heart of the gospel, mm. and it's that that's missing. It sounds to me like this, uh, what do you call it, M? MTD, Moralistic Therapeutic Deism. That's a new term for me, but uh, it sounds like a theologically a form of Pelagianism, right? <laughs> you can is. make it on your own, uh, try harder, do better. And uh, at the end of the day, God will look with favor on you because of your efforts. Right. You don't hear anything of faith and repentance. And what else you don't hear there is a sense of tragedy and the deep hurt that sin produces in all of our lives and in the world around us. That's right. Which calls for the kind of radical grace That's right. that uh, you're pointing young people to. Well, we could go on and on talking about the culture, the struggles that you have. Every, every, any youth minister with the kind of values you're talking about is going to have. But I want to I want to shift the focus just a little bit and ask you a maybe a more practical question. You know, one of the things every church of any size eventually sets out to do is to call a new youth minister. That's right. Because I imagine, I've not done any study on this, but I imagine there's a fairly good turnover in terms of how long youth ministers serve. 11 months right now. Is it 11 months? Yeah, wow, depending I didn't on the realize. study, but uh, 11 to 15 months. So if you're in a church and you're talking to a number of pastors and church leaders that may be facing this problem or will be, how do you go about finding a person like you used to be before you became a senior pastor, a godly yeah. youth minister focused on the kinds of things that's going to build up young people in the life of faith and the life of the Spirit? That's a great question. I think teenagers, uh, they, I think, find it very refreshing to have a, a youth pastor that comes in and is going to be honest about the truth of Scripture and not try. I think they can see through. They're smart. They can see through the flash and the games and the gimmicks. If, what, if I was, I guess, advising a, a search committee, because I get a lot of questions from from churches and from, from students seeking churches like this, here's the problem with this approach. It's not about success. And a lot of parents, a lot of churches want success. What I would say is, is this person, this maybe person that's interviewing uh, for this youth job, are they focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ? Are they focused on being faithful to him first and foremost, over mm. being successful, being relevant, being cool, all those kinds of things? The, there's nothing more relevant than the gospel. Mm. And if he's about the gospel, he's going to be relevant. You know, John Piper has a book, God is the Gospel, which is a wonderful way of talking about it. The gospel is not something other than the God, the triune God of holiness and love, whom we worship and who calls us to himself. To know him is to know the gospel. And so I, I like that emphasis very much. Um, 
Is it wrong, do you think, for, say, young ministers, uh, recent graduates of Beeson and others perhaps not there yet, to think of youth ministry as kind of a stepping stone into other ministry positions? Yes and no. It's a hard question because uh, I think there's there's some people that want to pastor in a church and do uh, and minister the sacraments and, and do the various work of pastoral ministry, and yet they find themselves in this interesting situation where those positions are not open. Mm-hmm. However, they need to be used, whatever ministry they're, they're called to, youth ministry or other, uh, used to the, the to their best of their abilities in that role. And so I would say, no, on the one hand, make the most of where you are. Um, be content in the ministry that you have and, and be as faithful as you can in the ministry that's there. Um, you know, live a life of faith and repentance before the students and before others in the church. Um, love your wife if the person's married, those kinds of things. Um, and yet being open and willing to follow God's call elsewhere. One of the questions people get, I receive sometimes, is, uh, you know, what, what if you know, I'm a youth pastor, I'm in a church, and I, I get you, I hear that. I, I don't want to be about gimmicks and games, but the, the senior pastor and the parents and the youth, that's what they expect. Mm. And so there's this high expectation on students to perf- or student ministers to perform to a certain level of expectation, and it just drives them ragged. Yeah, they have a very hard time with that. And what I tell them is, it's a long process to change a course of a ministry, and mm. it takes a lot of hard work, a lot of one-on-one meetings, a lot of letters. And I've had to say, at the end of the day, sometimes if if you if you if it goes against your conscience and the approach of ministry, there you might have to leave. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. and, and I, I would never want to recommend that to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, especially in a day when we are not committed anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. So that's that's a difficult yeah, position so for me. It becomes people. a matter of conscience and really discernment at that point. Mm-hmm. Now, does God call some people into not just full time youth ministry but lifelong youth ministry? Yeah, we've. I think so, and I think we've seen a. You know, youth ministry is fairly recent. You know, in the in the forties or so, you you start having parachurch organizations, Young Life, and others that pop up um, to because the church, as it was seen, was not doing its work in reaching out to the younger generation, and so a lot of uh, parachurch organizations um, emerged to do what the church was not doing. In so many words, well, then the church saw the success of these you know these other groups, and you know we need to have that as well. We need to have that in the church as well. Now, this is a culture, 50s, 60s, that for a lot of people, uh, there was a high moral level. There's there's a lot more shame of sin than there is today. We live in a loss of shame today. But back then, a lot more people came from Christian homes. Um, And so youth ministry is a fairly new phenomenon. And yet, there's so many young people who, you know, they're they're not in a Christian school. They don't go to, they don't have a Christian home. They have no community of friends that are believers. And what is what is one place they could go to um, other than a parachurch organization where they can actually join, be under the discipline oversight of the church, they can take the Lord's Supper and be part of the sacraments, ongoing uh, sacraments of the church, under the preaching of the church, the, the shepherding care of the officers, intergenerational ministry. Those all happen in the local church. And so we want to be pro-church yeah. uh, in this. Um, and so I, I think it is a is a right calling for uh, youth ministry, even vocational youth ministry, because of the culture change that we've seen and where we find uh, youth today. 
I've been talking to uh, Brian Cosby. He's a graduate of Beeson Divinity School and the recently called pastor of Wayside Presbyterian Church, Signal Mountain, Tennessee, near Chattanooga, my hometown. Let me put that plug in. (laughs) Now, I have one more question for you, Brian. We're almost out of time. This might be uh, the most difficult question I've asked, Uh -uh. but it's one I think you should be prepared to have some thoughts about. Based on your own experience and your writing, uh, give us the name of your book again. Giving Up Gimmicks, Reclaiming Youth Ministry from an Entertainment Culture. And it's published by? PNR Publishing. Yes, PNR is Presbyterian and Reformed Publishers. It's a great book. I've read it, and I would recommend that you get it and uh, use it and give it to others who are either in youth ministry or concerned about this whole issue. Here's my question. What is one thing that you wish the parents of teenagers today understood? The importance of of the mean, ongoing means of grace in the church, uh, which center around the gospel. That was the one thing I guess I would point them to. The ongoing means of growing, of being saved, that God uses these means of word, prayer, sacrament, service, to save his people, but to sanctify them. But I would say to these parents, not don't be your best friend of your child. You're their parent. Um, lead with repentance and faith before your children. They don't expect you to be perfect, but they do want you to be a repenter. And they want to see the presence of the gospel in your own life, that you're being you're willing to confess sin and trust every day in the sufficiency of Christ on your behalf. Wonderful words of counsel. Thank you, Brian, for this conversation today. God bless you in your ministry at Wayside Presbyterian Church. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.